Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 35. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. If you didn't know it was the season of Lent, that video should have convinced you of it. A somber video which reminds us that Christ walked to the cross on our behalf. And uh, that will be the lead-up video for the rest of this series, which is entitled A Slow Walk to the Cross. Today I want to focus on some turning points in that slow walk to the cross. But before I do, I ask you to remember a time in your life where you came to a turning point. Maybe one comes to mind immediately. Or maybe you didn't even recognize the turning point until you looked back and you said, oh, that was huge. When that happened, when I made this decision, it changed life forever. When Jesus started his journey towards the cross, which is marked in Mark's Gospel, chapter 8. He began with a very long walk, not towards Jerusalem, but away from it. In this particular passage, you have a walk from Bethsaida to Caesarea. That was a long walk, and I think for a good reason. A lot of things happen in Mark's Gospel, chapter 8. A lot of turning points in the hearts and the minds of the disciples. It's interesting how we got the name Caesarea. Caesarea wasn't a name given to it by the Hebrew people before Jesus. Caesarea was named that because King Herod dedicated the town in the name of Caesar Augustus. Furthermore, as Jesus 
took this slow walk to Calvary, a very circuitous route by first going to Caesarea and then back, he was seeing along the way, illustrating along the way, two kingdoms. Now, I'm not talking about the parallel kingdom of God and humanity. They were seeing two kingdoms. They were seeing the kingdom of Herod, who had built the temple in Jerusalem, and they were seeing a temple that was built by Herod in honor of Caesar in Caesarea. So as they walk, reflecting on the reality that is around them, Jesus begins to talk. And on one occasion, he asked Peter and all the disciples, really, who do people say that I am? Of course, the disciples responded with a variety of answers. Well, so-and-so says you're this, Elijah, one of the prophets, on and on. And then Jesus, I could imagine, while they're saying this, he says, no, 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 stop, guys, stop, hang on a minute. Who do you say that I am? And Peter, the one who always was saying things first, just blurted out, you're the Christ. One pastor said, the son of the living God. It was an aha moment for Peter. It was there that he pronounced what was absolutely true. He declared the truth. But the reality was this. Jesus didn't give him a lot of credit for doing it. I guarantee you Peter wanted credit. Peter was like that. But Jesus turned to him and said, you're right. You got it right, Peter. But you didn't get it right because of you. You got it right because of God. In other words, the reason you said that is because of divine revelation. God allowed you to see it. Peter was put in his place a lot of times. And in this moment of truth, which would have been his high point, he was diminished very quietly. That was the aha moment as they journeyed. And then there was what I call the moment of truth. Here's what the moment of truth was. Jesus, in effect, said, you have named me correctly the Messiah, but I want you to know I am not the Messiah you're expecting. You see, for 700 years, the people of Israel had been under captivity of one foreign oppressor or another. Various names are used for these these oppressors. The Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Persians, even at one point the Medes and the Persians are in the equation, and Greek and Greece and Rome. For 700 years, foreign nations had oppressed them. And they never lost their national identity. Really, think about it. The United States isn't even half as old as the 700-year oppression of the people of Israel. Do you think if we'd been captured 700 years later, we'd have had our identity? They did. And their identity was not, not only there, their hope was not snuffed out. So for 700 years, they were hoping for, longing for, anticipating, expecting the Messiah. There were various understandings of what that Messiah would be. 
But all of them would have converged on Daniel chapter 7 and following, where Daniel has a vision, a vision of kingdoms that have come and gone or would come and would go. And finally, the Son of Man, called the Ancient of Days, replaced that word with Messiah would come. And when that happened, all dominion would be given to the Messiah. He would have authority over all the nations of the world. And everyone, according to Daniel chapter 7, would bow down and worship to him. You know, the only way people bowed down in worship is when they were conquered. What else would you expect? The Messiah is going to come and he's going to do damage to our enemies. He's going to crush our enemies in a violent way. And he's going to make them bow down. What would you expect? And Jesus, in one moment, smashes their paradigm. Imagine a great big crystal ball that represents your vision of Messiah and the world. And Jesus holds up that ball and smashes it on the rocks into thousands of pieces. So let me tell you what it means when I'm Messiah. It means that my mission is to die. Wait, the battle hasn't even begun. I mean, Peter hasn't even pulled out his sword in the garden yet. We're not even on the mission yet. We're just talking about the mission. And you're telling us that at the very beginning I'm going to die? Who would want to follow that? It's as though Jesus is saying, come with me and die. Come follow me in a losing cause. Who does that? Just to lighten the moment for a sef- second, because I think we need to. Um, it reminds me of the famous theologian Charlie Brown. And one of the cartoons of Charlie Brown, he says this. He says, winning ain't everything. But losing ain't anything. Yeah, they didn't know Charlie Brown, but don't you think that must have been going through their mind? Losing isn't anything, Jesus. This can't happen. That's when Peter actually rebukes him and says, you can't do this. We won't let it happen. You can't let it happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, because you don't know what's going on. So there's a big moment of truth. The third moment, it seems to me, is the moment of commitment. Or maybe we should call it a call to commitment. See, the bad news about Jesus' death, that he came to die, was tough enough. But now, Jesus says, not only am I going to die, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pick up your cross and follow me. In other words, I want you to die too. 
I don't want you to pick up your sword. I want you to pick up your cross. I don't want you to be angry that people are shouting at you. I want you to pick up your cross. And I want you to follow me. Interesting in Luke's gospel, the description is pick up your cross daily and follow me. You know, we sometimes use a phrase that I understand why we use it, but I'm afraid it trivializes this passage. We say things like, well, that's my cross to bear. Yeah, we all got crosses to bear. I I get that. But that's not what's going on here. No, what's going on here is much deeper. Jesus is saying, I want you to take up your cross and die. And that means death to self-righteousness. It means death to self-centeredness. It means death to self-defensiveness. It means death to self-promotion. It means surrender to Jesus. Take up your cross and follow me. I've gone months now, I think at least six months, but I'm not keeping count, without quoting C.S. Lewis. But that comes to an end today. (laughs) C.S. Lewis, uh, zoning in on this idea in his most famous work, Mere Christianity, puts it this way. He said, Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. I have not come to torment your natural self, but to kill it. No half measures are any good. Hand over the whole natural self. All the desires which you think innocent, as well as the ones you think wicked. The whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. I wonder when Lewis wrote that, if he wasn't thinking of the words of the Apostle Paul in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That was a call to or a moment for commitment. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And then there's the final moment I want to focus on in Mark chapter 8. It's when Jesus says words that turn their world upside down. I don't mean words that are just like shocking. I mean words that turn everything upside down. Everything. He says to them, if you take up your cross and follow me, if you really understand that I'm Messiah, if you really want to be a Messiah follower, 
You're going to have to lose your life. And when you lose your life, you're going to save it. When you kill yourself, you're going to live. Everything is upside down in Jesus' world. And he's inviting them into an upside down world. If you want to find yourself, says Jesus, you got to lose yourself. And then you'll find yourself in me. For my sake in the gospel. Let's put it in more concise language that is far more modern. Self-actualization is not the path to self-fulfillment. Self-actualization is a desperate attempt to find meaning inside yourself. And there's nothing in there, folks. Because the life that you have is the life of God, not your life. That was radical for the disciples. I think it's safe to say that if they heard it, it turned their world upside down. Everything was redefined. It didn't make any sense. How can you find yourself through crucifixion? So in conclusion, I have a few questions and then a few recommendations. First question, have you experienced that aha moment with Jesus? I mean, you've heard it before, but have you experienced it where you say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you set it on bended knee. And you set it as a confession. And you said, I've got to say this. If you've never had that moment, and you're here this morning or listening this morning, I would love to be part of helping to lead you to that moment. Because it is the most life-changing moment you will ever have. Or maybe it's not that you haven't had that aha moment. It's that you had it once and your faith has grown cold. The routine of life has deadened the life that you have in Christ. Well, if that's true, then it's time to open up your heart to Jesus once again. Second question. Are you carrying your cross? Have you allowed yourself to be crucified? Or, like the disciples, are you running away from the cross and hiding? Are you allowing Jesus... To crucify self over and over again as you follow him with the cross on your shoulders? Or maybe it seems impossible and you've just quit trying. Don't give up. It's the only pathway to true life. 
Third question, have you found yourself? Not through self-actualization, but through surrender. I don't, I don't know how you've tried to find yourself. But I have a question for you. Is your way working? If it's not, maybe it's time to give it up. Because the more you dig deeply, the more empty you're going to become if all you're doing is focusing on self. So here's some recommendations. First recommendation is this. Just remember, maybe a reminder, that the aha moment doesn't happen all at once. I mean, yes, there are dramatic coming to faith experiences. I had one of them myself. But that wasn't the end of the story. Just like it wasn't the end of the story for the disciples. Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Really good, Peter. That came from somewhere else. Now you've got a thousand more aha moments ahead of you. You're going to pull out your sword and try to defend me, and I'm going to tell you, get behind me. You're going to tell me not to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to call you the devil. You won't have any idea how many aha moments you're going to have. It's going to be one layer after another of aha moments. So, those of us who count ourselves to be Christ followers, let's refuse something, shall we? Let's refuse steadfastly to being static. Let's say no over and over again to static Christianity. Let's say no over and over again to, I've got my record sealed. Let's say over and over again, dear Lord Jesus, open my eyes so I can see you. Give me one aha moment after another as I follow you. The second recommendation or statement is this. Cross-carrying is not optional for Christ followers. It's mandatory. That's what it means to follow Jesus. So you and I need to stop being surprised or offended when we're carrying the cross and getting abused. We need to stop the whining and the retaliation when persecution comes our way. Because Jesus told us it was going to come our way. That's part of it. We need to remember the admonition of Luke that you take up your cross daily and follow Christ. So here's the second prayer. The first was, open my eyes, Lord, to see you over and over and over again. The second prayer is, Lord, give me the grace to follow you. 
It doesn't happen automatically. You know what's natural? This. What's natural is to fight back. What's not natural is self-promotion. What's not natural is the grace to follow with the cross. So second prayer is, Lord, give me the grace to follow you. Third recommendation or question, have you found yourself? Have you, have you really acknowledged that the path to self-discovery is surrender? That's the only path to self-discovery for a Christ follower. So in answer to that third question, the third prayer, Lord, help me to lose myself so I can find myself in you. The last song we're about to sing has these words in it. I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you um, for the season of Lent. It's not Christmas time with bows and ribbons and cheery music. It's reflection time where we remember how you took up your cross and died for us. So Lord, as we reflect on that, we pray that you will open our eyes so that we can have one more aha moment after another. So that you will teach us again and again. And you will never stop. Lord, we pray also that you will give us the grace to follow you. Because just like Peter, to even acknowledge you is a gift of grace. You reveal yourself to us. So since you have, we boldly ask for the grace to follow you. And Lord, we pray that in following you, we'll just get lost. We'll just lose self. That we'll be so immersed in you that like a stream that pours into a giant river, we'll just become one with the current of Calvary. And you'll make us citizens of the kingdom of God. In your name we pray. Amen.